This is Federalism Matters, a podcast making federalism real and relevant to our daily lives. I'm Wes Lacrone, fellow at the Center for the Study of Federalism and professor of political science at Widener University. Today's topic is James Madison. However, before we explore him, I'd like to encourage you to visit us at federalism.org if you'd like to learn more about federalism or specific issues related to federalism. You can also stay up to date on all of our activities by signing up for our newsletter. And now, our topic for today's podcast. James Madison is often referred to as the father of the Constitution for his contributions to the Constitution and for co-authoring the Federalist Papers, which advocated for ratification of the new Constitution. Today, we examine the contributions of James Madison to American government by revisiting Gordon Henderson's entry on the fourth president of the United States in the Encyclopedia of American Federalism. Madison was born in 1751 and died in 1836 and contributed to nearly every important phase of the creation of the United States. The eldest of 10 children in a moderately wealthy slaveholding plantation family, he lived his entire life at the family estate Montpelier in Orange County, Virginia. At five feet, four inches, he was uncommonly short and frail, often in fear for his health. He studied the Scottish Enlightenment at the College of New Jersey, which is now known as Princeton, from 1769 to 1772 under its president, John Witherspoon. In 1774, Madison was elected to the Orange County Revolutionary Committee of Safety. As delegate to the 1776 Virginia Constitutional Convention, Madison had the state's Declaration of Rights altered to favor free exercise of religion over mere religious toleration. He served in Virginia's executive branch until being elected to the Continental Congress in 1779, where uncooperative states fueled his cynicism about them and the Union. In the Virginia legislature, where he served from 1784 to 1786, he failed to reform the state's 1776 constitution and its financial commitment to the Continental government. He did, however, facilitate passage of Virginia's Act for Establishing Religious Freedom in 1786, by publishing his objections to public financing of specific religions in Memorial and Remonstrance Against Religious Assessments. Drafted by Thomas Jefferson in 1777, the statute presumed the dependence of democracy upon religious freedom. Madison's frustrations with the state and continental governments convinced him of the need for reform. He believed that the populist design of most state constitutions produced bad law and made constitutional reform unlikely. Consequently, by 1785, he came to agree with George Washington and Alexander Hamilton that reform of the Articles of Confederation was necessary. Madison's contributions to the Philadelphia Convention of 1787 include persuading Washington to serve as presiding officer and his comprehensive notes on the debates, which were published after his death in 1840. He is known as the father of the Constitution for leading fellow Virginians to set the convention's agenda with the Virginia Plan. The Virginia Plan proposed to replace rather than revise the Articles of Confederation. The most powerful of three separate branches would be a bicameral legislature with representation apportioned in each house on the basis of population or tax contributions. The executive and judicial branches would occasionally constitute a council of revision that could veto federal and state laws subject to congressional approval. Finally, Congress could exercise all powers to which the separate states are incompetent and could compel state compliance with force. 
Several compromises in the final version of the Constitution deviated from Madison's vision of a federal government less dependent upon the states and powerful enough to correct their ill-conceived legislation. He feared that the Great Compromise, as it was called, providing for equal representation in the Senate and thus favoring the small states, would allow their legislatures to corrupt congressional judgment through their choice of senators. The limited presidential veto that replaced his council revision did not extend to state laws. The independent judiciary was not explicitly granted the power of a veto over the states. And the broad grant of power to act where the states are, quote, incompetent, was replaced by a specific list of powers in Article 1, Section 8, to which Madison painstakingly added. Finally, the power to compel state compliance was relegated to the more ambiguous National Supremacy Clause, which is located in Article 4. Despite his doubts, Madison coordinated supporters of ratification throughout the states. He defeated efforts by Virginia Anti-Federalists, led by Patrick Henry, to condition their ratification on amendments to the original Constitution. His contributions to the Federalist Papers, written in collaboration with Hamilton and also John Jay, are considered to be the best original statement of American constitutionalism. In Federalist Number 10, he argued that the extended republic created by the Constitution would limit the threat to liberty of the mischief of faction endemic to popular government. In Federalist 51, he said that ambition in each of the branches would check the encroachment of one upon the other, thereby limiting national power. And then finally, in Federalist 39, he reassured anti-federalists that the state's role in constituting the national government and its limited, limited enumerated powers would protect their independence. Madison won a seat in the first Congress, promising to introduce a Bill of Rights, despite his fear that it would serve to weaken those rights not mentioned. He kept his promise in part to avoid a second convention proposed by some anti-federalists. Treasury Secretary Hamilton's nationalist economic policies challenged Madison's Federalist views and led him to found with Jefferson the first political party. In particular, the Republicans opposed the federal assumption of state and individual war debts, favorable trade with Great Britain, and the chartering of a national bank. Madison urged strict construction of the Constitution's enumerated powers against the bank bill, but Hamilton persuaded Washington to sign it. Discouraged by Federalist control of the national government, Madison retired to Virginia in 1787. Quote, unquote, retired. We know that he comes back. In 1798, he and Jefferson drafted, respectively, the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions, challenging the constitutionality of the Alien and Sedition Acts. Madison intended these state statutes to arouse public opinion, concept known as interposition, whereas Jefferson felt states could legally nullify unconstitutional federal laws, which came to be known as nullification. As Jefferson's Secretary of State from 1801 to 1809, Madison oversaw the Louisiana Purchase, whose constitutionality he ascribed to the treaty power, and he also struggled to avoid conflict with Europe during his times as Secretary of State. He was party to the landmark case of Marbury versus Madison, in 1803 that established judicial review of federal laws and subsequently state laws in the case McCulloch versus Maryland in 1819. Madison's presidency, which took place from 1809 to 1817, was consumed by diplomatic crises, culminating in war with England from 1812 to 1815. Despite his earlier constitutional objections, 
he proposed and signed legislation charting the second national bank. In retirement, he expressed alarm at the slavery issue and opposed both the Missouri Compromise and the Nullification Doctrine. When he died in 1836, Madison had outlived all of his fellow founding fathers. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Federalism Matters. To learn more about this and other federalism-related topics, please visit us at federalism.org. Subscribe to our newsletter to be notified of future issues. Remember, federalism balances self-rule and shared rule.